Good morning and welcome to Refuge Bible Fellowship. I uh, hope that uh, everything's going uh, well as far as uh, you and your family are concerned and uh, that uh, you're ready to get into God's Word this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 and we're going to be covering the first nine verses of that chapter. We're going into the section of Scripture that, um, that gives us a, um, the, the details regarding the conversion of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, and his conversion from being a, a, uh, a persecutor of the church to being part of the church and being a born-again Christian. So let's start out with a word of prayer and get into our study this morning. So again, we're in Acts chapter 9. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have such grace from you, such love from you, as it is exemplified in the life of the Apostle Paul. As you brought him from being such a violent man toward the church to being zealous for the church, being passionate about the things that bring you glory. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us this morning, that you would give us understanding, and that you would help us to see your grace in it all. We thank you, Father, and we commit this time into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. All right, so this morning, uh, again, we're in Acts chapter 9. The title of the message is Truth Exposes What is True. Truth Exposes What is True. In the cover of night, the enemy can maneuver, establish a strike point, and enjoy an advantage over its adversary. The element of surprise initially paralyzes. But with just a single flare shot into the dark sky, everything below can be illuminated and the position of the enemy can not only be discovered, but upon discovery, be eliminated. In a dark room, one can hear sounds and imagine what it could be, or told it's one thing when it's really another but as soon as a single candle is lit and the eyes adjust, one can see what was initially not seen under the cover of darkness. And as the light brightens, more is exposed. And so it is with the light of God's truth. It exposes what is present. It exposes lies and confirms truth. And the darkness cannot overwhelm it, is what the Bible tells us. Just as darkness has no power over a light once it has been shown, things are revealed, and darkness has no power over it. This morning we are learning about the time when Saul of Tarsus was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was on the road to Damascus to capture Christians there and bring them back to Jerusalem to put them on trial. Many say that Saul was born again on the road to Damascus, but I believe that this was the beginning of Jesus' work to lead Saul to realize and know and confess and repent that Jesus is the Son of God who died to reconcile mankind unto the Father and to bring him to a place of confessing that he was guilty of opposing the one he thought that he was serving the truth exposing the lie and so it is we have 
that very process happening in the first nine verses of Acts chapter 9. Just as Saul had to first come to the understanding that he was blind spiritually, this being exposed by the truth, we also need to understand that we can be blind to the truth as truth exposes reality, either for salvation or for correction. When faced with the truth, God's desire is for repentance, a turning away from what we know now to be false, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That is what the Word of God does. It exposes everything. It surgically cuts away anything and reveals that which is deep in our hearts, motives, intentions, thoughts. And as they are exposed, we see them for what they are. Regardless of whether this is confessed, agreed upon, and received or not by an individual, it is true nonetheless. Even though it doesn't feel good to be confronted with the truth, the truth gives us an opportunity to repent. And that's why it's merciful for someone to explain to us the truth of the matter. Uh, a good friend is willing to wound where an enemy is one that tells us what we want to hear all the time. So even though it doesn't feel good to be confronted with the truth, the truth gives us an opportunity to repent, from, from, to uh, uh, turn from those things that are not aligned with God's will and turn to that which pleases and glorifies the Lord. Gives us an opportunity to repent if we're not right before God or, or it also gives us an opportunity to be encouraged and continue if we are right before God, all to his glory. Because otherwise, we would continue to walk blindly in the darkness of lies thinking everything is okay when it's really not okay. That's God's mercy and offer of grace by his truth. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so three things we're going to look at here in these nine verses. Number one, blindness possessed. Number two, blindness exposed. And then thirdly, blindness examined. So let's begin by reading these first nine verses Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So the title, again, of this morning's message is Truth Exposed, 
or truth exposes what is true. Truth exposes what is true. Again, three things. Blindness possessed, blindness exposed, and blindness examined. In our lives, this is not only how we come to know Jesus as Savior, but also how we live humbly before our holy and righteous God. Examining and confessing our blindness to something God has revealed as sin in our lives, and then asking for for his forgiveness. So blindness possessed. This is something that is true of Saul of Tarsus. Uh, This is what is revealed in these first two verses. Uh, It's it's continued from previous um, uh, chapter and verse. That is Acts chapter 8. I believe it's verse 3 that we left off with the Apostle Paul or with Saul of Tarsus at that time. But it's, it's a continued revelation of the Lord being revealed, that is, of really where Saul stood, where he thought he was righteous, but he was actually opposing Jesus. So blindness possessed. The last time we heard from Paul again was back in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so after Philip and Peter and John had been faithful to the work of evangelism in Samaria. And then from there, we studied last week how it was that Philip led an Ethiopian official to salvation in Jesus Christ on the road to Gaza as this official was going back to Ethiopia. After all of that, Saul continued on his rampage against the Christians. The stoning of Stephen, you could say, was only the beginning And he was filled with violence. He was filled with murder in his heart. And he continued to breathe threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, as we saw in verse 1 of chapter 9. Saul, you could say, genuinely believed that he was doing the right thing by persecuting, imprisoning, and even committing the Christians to being murdered. Somehow Saul thought that this was all pleasing to the Lord. He was deceived. Saul, at this point, wanted to go after the Christians in Damascus. He wanted to go wherever they were. And he had heard that they were in Damascus. And so he asked the high priest not only for permission to go, but he wanted a letter, what would be considered an introductory letter, to take to the synagogues in Damascus so that they would gain support by the local synagogues in Damascus to go after the Christians arrest them, and bring them back to Jerusalem bound to to stand trial before the Sanhedrin. So Saul was looking for extradition approval from the religious leaders, and he received it. He got it. And here we see Saul referring to the Christians uh, for the first time as the people of the way. That's how he referred to them, the people of the way. This implies that the first Christians lived following Jesus as a way of life, not just following a set of doctrines or opinions, but following Jesus who is alive as the way to the Father and following Jesus as the way they live their lives daily. John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How are we to live as Christians? You know, if you think about how it was that even Saul of Tarsus uh, described the Christians of that day, the, the people of the way, 
could we describe it, be described in that manner today? And I, I hope that we would be able to be described in that way by others that see our very lives, that we are truly people of the way, people who follow Jesus, who is alive, who is resurrected, and who has been crucified uh, for our sins. And we believe on him not only as the one who was crucified, but the one who resurrected from the grave. And we live our lives denying ourselves, picking up our cross daily and following him. Luke 9.23, Jesus said, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, the main idea of these first couple verses is that Saul was blind to the truth, but the truth we know is about to confront him. Saul sincerely thought that he was doing the right thing, but sincerity of heart doesn't prove someone is right. Just because someone is sincere, someone is, is genuine in what they believe to be true, doesn't mean that what they believe is true. Because Saul was sincere about his thoughts and actions, but he was sincerely wrong. Saul also was bolstered or encouraged by the support of the religious leaders that he respected and admired, and thus furthering his belief that he was doing the right thing. Of course, if I have the support of the religious leaders, the ones that people admire, look up to, and honor, they have prestige, certainly I'm doing the right thing, and not necessarily, because he and they were blind to the truth. Support of your opinion by seemingly popular, powerful, or positioned people doesn't necessarily confirm that you are correct. You see, Saul was sincere in what he was doing, but he was sincerely wrong. Blindness was possessed by Paul, and Saul was possessed by his blindness. Sin brings blindness, and sin separates us from God. As it says in Isaiah 59, 9 and 10, Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. Regarding sin... We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. And people who are in their sin are described in these couple verses. If you look at Isaiah 59, you'll see a further description of what it is to be in sin and how it separates us from the Lord, starting with verse 1 of Isaiah 59. So the first thing that we look at as we look at these first couple verses is how it is that for Saul, he was in blindness. He was blind to the truth. Even though he thought he was righteous, he was doing the right thing. And he thought he, because he was supported by the religious leaders of the day who knew uh, the law and the prophets uh, inside and out, that he, was, he thought he was doing the right thing. And yet... He was blind. He was doing the wrong thing. Now, we need to understand that this has to be acknowledged in our lives. That we come, when we come to know the truth or, or are confronted by the truth, that we at some point perhaps did not know and we were blind in our sin. And so, number one, blindness Possessed, And that's what it was with Saul. He was blind. 
But number two, blindness is exposed. Verse 3, as we continue, says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So in these few verses, verses 3 through 6, um, the, the blindness is exposed by the truth. Saul being filled with violence toward the Christians, he was on the road to Damascus with, with this letter in hand to arrest the Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to put them on trial. When all of a sudden, a light shone all around him. Acts 22.6 says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. Now we know that this, this event is at this point described by Luke in the book of Acts. But then by, uh, with, with uh, Paul's own mouth, he describes uh, this event in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. And so we see it in those in, those, in three different places. So obviously, this conversion of Saul to Paul is something very significant as it's repeated three times in the book of Acts. Now, in chapter 22, the, the apostle Paul describes this event as happening in the middle of the day. And the brightness that shone on him was brighter than the sun beating down at noon. So this was an overwhelming light. It was something that was frightful to him. It caused him and all of the men that were with him to fall on the ground, fall on their faces. Not because they revered God, because they immediately knew that it was God, but because they feared for their lives. And we know this to be true because of what Saul said. He and the rest of the men were filled with fear. They did not know what was going on. The only thing that they thought they could do is drop and cover to protect themselves because they feared for their lives. But then just as that point, just at that point, when they fell to the ground, when they fell on their faces, they heard a voice from heaven. And this voice came and confronted Saul, and it was Jesus Christ. Even though he was blinded with this light, through it, he knew that Jesus had come. And he saw him for who he was. And this is known because of uh, what was described in chapter 22 and then again in chapter 26. So first, Jesus repeated Saul's name. Saul, Saul, he said, why are you persecuting me? He repeated Saul's name for emphasis to express a deep emotion it's, it's not an expression of anger, not an expression of condemnation, but it was like Martha. Martha, in, in this case, it, it's Saul. Saul, Saul, what, what are you doing? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It, it, was, it was a cry of emotion from Jesus, and you see this compassion. You see, the, the Saul of Tarsus was a man who was going after all of the disciples of Jesus Christ, and yet even he, God, did not desire 
that he should perish. But he called upon him. And so as Jesus called out to Saul in this manner, it was one of emphasizing a deep emotion, love and compassion for Saul. Not anger, but a caring concern. He wanted to get his, his attention. Secondly, Jesus asked Saul why it was that he was persecuting him. Interesting, because Saul thought that he was serving God. And besides, Saul was persecuting people. He wasn't persecuting God. And so Saul thought that he was serving God by going after the people of the way. And it wasn't true. Notice that Jesus didn't ask Saul if he knew he was persecuting him. He didn't ask him, do you know that you're persecuting me? He didn't ask him that. He says, why are you persecuting me? In other words, Jesus was not asking for Saul to agree whether he was or was not persecuting Jesus. The truth of the matter was that he was. And so it was a statement. Even in that question, it was a statement. Why are you persecuting me? It's a question, but it's not one that's asking for approval. It's making a statement at the same time. And so he asked, why are you doing this? You see, through this, Paul's blindness is being exposed in much the same way that our blindness is exposed when truth sheds light on us, our motives, our intentions, the origin of our words, um, the thoughts that we're thinking, the actions that we take, when truth comes upon all of that. It exposes all of that for what it is. God, by his word, exposes our sin by his truth and simply asks why. Not because he doesn't know. And I've said this often. You know, God doesn't ask, where are you, Adam? Because he doesn't know where he is. He's hidden so well from him that perhaps he's somewhere where he can't find Adam. That's not the reason why he asks, where are you, Adam? He asks Adam, and he asks us the same question, why or where are you? Why did you do that? Why are you thinking that? Where are you so that we can come to realize why we're doing what we're doing, why we're saying what we're saying, why we're not doing what we're, we're supposed to be doing, and where we're standing positioned in life. All of those things so that it would be known to us, that we would realize that perhaps where we're standing is not where we should be standing in life. The motives that we have perhaps aren't good motives, but they're wrong motives. Remember that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, as the psalmist said. And so he asked that question, why are you persecuting me? In other words, Jesus is saying this is sin. Why are you doing this? And this is a great question, one that we ought to answer. Is it out of ignorance or is it in rebellion? We can only answer one of two ways. Perhaps it was because, Lord, we did not know. I did not know that this was sin. 
Or we can answer saying, I knew this was sin, and I did it anyway. Like a rebellious kid who does whatever it is that they want to do, but they deal with the consequences at some point. Was it ignorance? Was it rebellion? Either way, that question, why are you doing this, really should reveal that and make it known to us so that we would have an opportunity to repent of that, to confess that. Confessing is simply agreeing with the Lord that that is sin and then turning from that, turning away from that which does not glorify the Lord and turning to the Lord, blessing and glorifying Him by our actions, our thoughts, and our words. So after Saul asks, Who are you, Lord? Jesus thirdly stated who he was, and with it stated his authority and clarified whom Saul was persecuting. So, just in case he didn't understand with the question, why are you persecuting me? Jesus told him, I am Jesus. I know in, in, uh, in, in other accounts, uh, I believe it's in Acts chapter 26, he actually describes himself. He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Why are, you perse- why are you persecuting me? And so with that, though, Jesus stated who he was and stated his authority and clarified whom Saul was persecuting. Notice that Jesus did not have to continue to describe himself further beyond I'm Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't have to say, you know, the one that was crucified, uh, the Jesus whom you heard teach in, in, uh, in Jerusalem, and the one whom you were probably part of the Sanhedrin. Uh, and uh, who condemned me to death, and you know I was crucified. You know He didn't have to continue to describe who he was. As soon as he said what he said, Saul knew exactly who was before him. Fourthly, by the way, likewise, we know who Jesus is. We know that he is the Son of God. And for us, it's, it's simply... It simply comes down to this. Do we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord? Do we confess that he is the Son of God? Or do we reject him as our Lord, our Savior? And and so that's what it really comes down to. And really that's what it came down to when Jesus confronted Saul with the truth. So Saul knew exactly who was before him. It was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The one who died on the cross and who resurrected on the third day. Fourthly, Jesus stated that he knew it was difficult for Saul to do what he was doing. You see, Jesus knew the turmoil that was going on within the heart of Saul. Even though outwardly, he was, as it's described here, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord and going after them in Damascus, wanting to arrest him and bring him back to Jerusalem for trial. Even though he was doing all of those things... He was having this turmoil within him. This conflict was happening within him. And Jesus knew that. And he said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. We don't have that this. This is, this is not the original early, this is not in the original early texts, but was added by scribes. It is accurate because it is found in Acts chapter 26, verse 14, but it was a scribe that added it Later, to let later transcripts uh, to add some description to this section of scripture. Now, this shows Jesus' omniscience. He knew all things, he is all knowing, and he knew what Saul was struggling with. 
Now, this goad that he, that he said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Uh, these these goads, uh, the farmers would prod the back of an ox with. It was, a, it was a long stick with a sharp edge, a sharp tip. And with it, they would prod the ox a bit to have it go a little faster uh, in, or turn or pay attention or whatever it was. So it just took a slight prick with the goad in order for it to respond in the way that the farmer wanted the ox to respond. And so that's what a goat is. And so Jesus was telling Saul that what he was doing was like, like having a goad be pricked with a goad, an ox being pricked with a goad, and then the ox kicking it, kicking it, you know, it, with the hind legs or whatever, and then kicking, kicking against it. Jesus was telling Saul that, that it was like this, but kicking against the goad it would only inflict more pain upon Saul. And so Saul was experiencing this pain, and Jesus knew this. He was opposing him, but it was really painful to Saul. Fifthly, Saul asked, what shall I do, Lord? Now, again, this was not in the original text, but later added by scribes. It's found in Acts chapter 22, verse 10. The moment Saul learned that this was the Lord, he asked what he wanted him to do. What a wonderful question. You know, Jesus gave Saul a few days to think about this question. All, he gave him a few days to think about everything that had taken place. To wait in blindness. But this was a beautiful question by Saul. Once he realized who was before him. Once he realized that yes, it is difficult to kick against the goads. Yes, I am confessing that you are the one that I am persecuting after all. I am confessing all of these things. It's implied by this statement, by this question of Saul. What do you want me to do? Really, you and I should be doing that more often. We should be asking the Lord when he reveals truth to us. When perhaps it reveals that our hearts are not right before the Lord. We ought to be asking that, this question. What do you want me to do, Lord? And you know that he'll answer you. According to scripture, he'll answer you. Your next action is to do this. And remember that we ought to obey the Lord. Because as he answers that question, we ought to be willing to follow through with how he answers us. According to his truth, according to his word. So, the moment Saul learned that this was the Lord, he asked what the Lord wanted him to do. He didn't give him much. He just gave him something very simple. And, uh, and he caused, them, caused him to go into Damascus and just wait for a few days in a state of blindness. Go into Damascus and wait for further instructions. Sometimes we need to be patient like that. We need to know that God won't give us all of these details. Now, go over here and do this and that, and then when you're finished with that, then this is what's going to happen, and I want you to do that. He's, he won't do that. Most of the times, what I have understood God to do is to give instructions to go do a certain thing, be faithful to that thing, 
and then wait. Wait for further instructions. You know, when we increase in patience, that translates into maturity in the Lord. That helps us to be content in the Lord. Uh, To mature means that we are content, we are satisfied with the Lord. That no matter if we're, uh, you know, on to the next project or the next uh, whatever thing that he wants us to do, perhaps he, he just wants us to wait on him, to hope on him and know that we've already won in Christ. We're victorious in him. And what, it, what awaits us is the glory of God. Sometimes it's in the waiting that we learn the most. Right now, a lot of us are waiting. We're wondering what, what's going to happen next. You know, all of us are at home. We're, we're not out and about like the way we were seven weeks ago. Life has changed drastically. And I believe that the Lord is teaching us so many things in this time. In a matter of six weeks, He's taught us so much. We've been resourceful in how it is that we uh, proclaim the gospel, how we minister to others. And don't think for a moment that this time the church has been really uh, stifled, that, that the church has been held back, that we've been muzzled, that we... No, not at all. The Bible tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Oh no, quite the contrary. God's message of hope in Christ Jesus has gone out in ways that we could have only imagined before. For instance, I'm here to tell you that for Refuge Bible Fellowship, normally in this sanctuary... We have about 100 adults. We have a children's ministry with a couple dozen kids in the children's ministry. But at this very moment, you're watching this in your living room, and you have an opportunity to share this message on your Facebook page. Share it in text to groups of people and get the word out there to thousands in thousands and thousands. Right now, we're learning how to, be, how, to, how to get the word out. We're learning that if we share this message to our sphere of influence on Facebook, that we actually impact more people. Last Sunday's message went out, and one, over 1,200 people viewed the message. I wonder if you're willing to share this on your page how many more people, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, people will be exposed to if you're willing to do that. No, the church is not stifled. No, the church is not muzzled. The church has flourished during this time. And I believe the Lord is strengthening you, refining you. He's purifying the church. And he's revealing so much. We are seeing who is truly trusting in the Lord, clinging to Him and growing and continuing to thrive, finding great hope in these times, ministering to family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, because they're in fear, because they have no hope. Remember, you have the answer, and His name is Jesus Christ. Make sure you share Jesus with them. So Jesus would give Saul a few days to think about 
what had taken place. I know Saul was really quick to come back and say, what do you want me to do, Lord? And that was a great question. But the only thing that Jesus wanted Saul to do was to go into the city and wait and be told what to do. To, to be told, wait, to be told what to do. What to do next, wait for further instructions. Jesus had appeared to Saul in this blinding light of glory, and it was awesome, amazing, but it was also frightening. At this point, Jesus had exposed Saul's blindness, and Saul wanted immediately to know what to do next, but the only thing he was told to do, hey, go wait. Go wait for for uh, the Lord to tell you what to do next. When your blindness is exposed by God, you need to be ready to confess Jesus' lordship and be ready to act, but in that, be willing to be obedient, to wait on him in his, and his timing to demonstrate that you genuinely do trust in him. Right now, like I said, the Lord's doing a, a big work. And one of the things that I believe he's doing is showing us how to trust in him how to wait on him. We're anxious to do things. We're anxious to get back into the church. And so am I. But I can't wait for the church to come back together and see how the Lord has worked in your heart, in your life. I I think it's going to be wonderful when we come back together. We're going to rejoice like we've never rejoiced before, at least not in my, my lifetime. So blindness possessed, blindness exposed, and blindness examined. Verse 7, as we come to a close, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank." So the whole experience was absolutely overwhelming to the men that were with Saul. They stood speechless. They, they, they couldn't even utter a word. They heard the voice, but they saw no one. They heard what they perceived as a voice, but they saw no one. And so they were in awe. And we know that they all fell to the ground just absolutely frightened, overwhelmed. And so it's at this point, Point that Saul stood to his feet but couldn't see anything. Once he opened his eyes physically, he couldn't see a thing. He was led into Damascus, and for three days, Saul did not eat or drink anything. He, he fasted for three days, and I have no doubt that, the, that, that Saul prayed like he had never prayed before. He was praying, thinking about what it was that he experienced, that Jesus appeared to him. And Jesus spoke to him. Jesus confirmed who he was and that Saul had been persecuting him. Oh, he's confronted with the truth. I think that Saul's mind was filled with Scripture at this point. For three days he thought about Scripture. He knew it well. He was the star student of Gamaliel. He was one who knew Scripture Thinking about the Old Testament scriptures and what they say about the Messiah. Thinking about how blind he was spiritually. How he hadn't seen it. And yet, Jesus was right before him. This was all a humbling experience for Saul. He was coming to Damascus to arrest those of the way. And now he was under arrest with blindness in a home waiting for Jesus to give him sight And deliver him from his sin. Saul 
had three days to think about it all and die to himself. You could say that he was in darkness. And think about this. He was in complete darkness for three days. Three days. And after three days, he rose to new life. Saul of Tarsus, after three days, and we'll see this next Sunday, Saul of Tarsus, after three days, no longer existed. Now it was the Apostle Paul. And he rose from the grave with Christ to new, new life. The old life was, was dead. And he was a new creature in Christ. After three days, we know that he was alive in Christ. And he is the same one that wrote to the Corinthians as the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.18, saying, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In order to ask to be delivered from spiritual blindness and eternal condemnation because of unrepented sin, one must know and acknowledge that they are blind and are in sin, and then repent and ask for forgiveness. That's why I believe that we should come to the understanding that at one point we were blind and separated from God by our sin. That the Lord, by His truth, has exposed this sin in our lives. And we have a choice at that point. That's merciful. That's God's desiring grace upon us as He exposes us in really where we are with the Lord. Because it gives us an opportunity to confess those sins and repent, asking for forgiveness. So blindness possessed, blindness exposed, and number three, blindness examined. In Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 22, it says this, beginning actually in verse uh, 23 of Luke chapter 9. It says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take this cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truth exposes truth. So we should not be ashamed of the truth. We should not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. We should declare him from the rooftops. We should tell all that Jesus saves, that he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We should be telling as many people as we possibly can. Truth exposes what is true. What is true of you? Is there anything you need to confess and repent of? Do you need to cry out to God for forgiveness and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? I pray and I hope that you do it now, for we are not promised tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 3, and again, this is the Apostle Paul. 
This is the man who once was Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted the Christians. And now he was zealous, zealous for people to come to salvation, to believe on Jesus Christ being the Son of God, who died for our sins, who was buried in three days uh, uh, after that, resurrected from the grave. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 11, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to the one as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And so we see this response by Saul, now the Apostle Paul. How was that because of God's grace? He is who he is. He's saved in in Jesus Christ. And so he works all the more to bring more people to the understanding and belief of who Jesus is. Do you believe? Because truth exposes what is true. Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul who gave his life to serve Jesus. Why? Because he knew it was only his reasonable service, a proper response to the love that he was first shown by Jesus, by dying on the cross for him and saving him. What about you? I pray his truth exposes what is true, that you come to realize whether it's much or little, whether it's for salvation or coming into a right relationship with the Lord, that you confess those things to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you. His grace awaits you. He awaits you with open arms and desires to bring you in closely as His child. If it's to salvation, ask Him for forgiveness and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. As a Christian, if you have things to repent of, remember that if we confess, uh, if we confess he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and so he, he makes us right before him as we confess and we ask for forgiveness. I pray that we respond correctly to what is, is exposed by God's truth. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, the truth. And as you expose that, Lord, we are, we are faced with a decision to make. A decision either to acknowledge, confess, and repent, asking for your forgiveness, or to completely reject. And I pray, Lord, that we would not reject. Because by coming to you and confessing and asking for your forgiveness, Lord, you place us in a, in a right standing before the Father because your sin covers, I mean, your, your sacrifice and your blood covers all of our sin. And so when the Father sees us, he sees your righteousness and not our sin. And so, Lord, we, 
We thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to come into the truth, to know it, and respond accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day.